Hello again and welcome. This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual Bible study conducted by yours truly, Pastor Dan Sinkhorn. Each week on this podcast, we go to our virtual uh, church classroom to study the Word of God together, and we are currently engaged in a long series based in the Christian Believer class created by the folks at Cokesbury, written by J. Ellsworth Callis, and it is a study of Christian doctrine uh, that follows the pattern of the Nicene Creed. So that's what we're involved in this time around on knowing God with heart and mind. This Bible study, this virtual classroom is something that I have uh, presented now for almost two years, and uh, it's a work in progress, so it does contain its uh, various uh, technical issues and uh, still trying to find my footing in my new setting. It used to be easy to talk about certain things uh, apart from the study, and uh, yet here in this setting, I'm still sort of finding my way through it. It's recorded right here at the uh, at the desk of my uh, pastor's study at home and uh, in my basement, no less, and uh, right next to the heating and air conditioning system. So should it kick on while we're talking together today, that's the strange sound you hear in the background. Over in the corner is old Earl. Earl is our very old dog that's been a part of my kids' life pretty much all their lives. He's pretty much a good-for-nothing, but we can't help but love him. And uh, he just has to be wherever we are. So right now he's decided to help me present this podcast to you. So that's, that's the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Bible study, virtual classroom, podcast story in a nutshell. It's you and me coming together for a little while to learn some things together. It's intended to be an addition to your participation in the life of a church or Christian fellowship. It's intended to be just one part of your relationship with God. And by all means, do interact with other Christians. I can't emphasize that enough. I've created this because there are so many people that I know who simply cannot be a part of Sunday school class and the like uh, consistently. There are people who work in shifts and so forth, and uh, they look forward to these kinds of uh, opportunities as a way to get some of that stuff they miss because of their busy lives and their varying responsibilities. So this is my entire goal, is to simply supplement your Christian living with another tool. This broadcast or podcast comes to you a week later than usual because uh, last week we were... uh, going to be out of town. My bride and I were planning to take a cruise that we had scheduled some year ago, uh, something like a year ago. And we uh, had, uh, I remember, had a conversation with the booking agent and said to him, you know, if we go in September, we're at pretty good odds of running into hurricanes. What happens if a hurricane happens while we're uh, 
getting close to our cruise. And he said, well, you know, it's very rare, but we do cancel cruises when necessary. But more often than not, we just reroute the boat around the storm. Well, last week, the cruise line met Irma. And Irma is big news in this country, and most of the people who are hearing this know exactly what I'm talking about. We were to depart off of the coast of South Carolina and uh, to cruise down to the Bahamas. And as I record this, the Bahamas are being battered by the third hurricane in about 10 to 15 days. And right now, they are just besieged by these incredibly terrible storms. The United States was all focused on Irma because of the fact that it intend, its intent, not intention, its goal or its direction, I guess. I don't know. I've heard too much of this stuff, and now I don't even know what I'm talking about. Its cone is to... Uh, projected to go over Florida, and therefore everybody got pretty scared. And I'm really, you know, very sympathetic to the people in Florida. Don't miss my point there. I, I'm glad that uh, it wasn't worse than it was, and I'm glad that Americans come to the aid of those who are suffering in places like Texas and in Florida from the hurricanes and out west from the wildfires and uh, around the places where earthquakes occur and all manner of things. But anyway, Irma got our attention because Irma aimed at Florida. That's, that's really the thing I'm trying to say. And uh, when you know, about oh, 18 hours before we were set to depart on our cruise, we got a call from the cruise line saying that our trip had been canceled. And that's okay. You know, we, we would have been in, in, uh, in God's hands no matter what we did. We would have been confident that... What we were doing was was uh, not without God's protection and all, and uh, we probably would have had quite an adventure. But as it turns out, there are so many factors that affected the ability for that cruise to happen. And uh, I'm really glad to say that the cruise ships that I cruise ship I was supposed to be on, for example, with my bride. Uh, was sent to the Bahamas, but rather than sending it with me and my wife having a wonderful time, it sent supplies to people, and it sent people uh, a you know virtual floating city that they could retreat to for a time to get medical care, to get uh, a warm bed to sleep in, and hot food. And so all of these wonderful things these cruise ships are capable of was able to turn into a relief situation. And so I'm very grateful that even though we missed our chance for a little bit of fun, it was turned into an opportunity for the cruise company to do some excellent service to others. So we'll go again. And uh, in the meantime, we'll keep meeting you here in the virtual world of the Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast. I hope you've been having a great time with this study and a good time in your personal relationship with God. And uh, I hope you're ready to tear into this week's class. This week we are studying the doctrine of grace. It comes on the heels of our study, a study of the doctrine of sin. And so having understood sin and its true nature, 
we see in many ways what could be seen as the other side of the coin. While God is just and God must punish sin, God desperately loves us and earnestly desires for us to be in a relationship with God. And uh, it is because of God's love for us that God's grace is abundant. And so today we talk about grace, this gift from God, saving grace, free grace, prevenient grace, common grace, special grace, undeserved favor, sanctifying grace, means of grace, sola gratia. These are all ways that we could express grace. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, just as sin exercised dominion in death, so grace might also exercise dominion through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 5, verses 20 to 21. Grace fits our disposition when life is unmanageable or when we think that we have no particular ground of appeal. But since we don't like feeling that way, we don't often provide a setting in which grace gets a hearing. Because although grace is lovely in its sentiments, it has several practical problems. For one, why does God choose to extend grace to us? And then, why should I want grace? And why would I want to confess I can't make it on my own? Or from another angle, is God's grace there regardless of what I do? And how can I learn to trust grace? So this is the thing that we have to face up to, is that grace is simple in one sense, but it's complicated in another way. And so we look into this idea of grace with a view towards breaking it down and understanding how God's grace works and how we experience it. That'll be our goal. But before we get started, we better pray. Holy God, I thank you and I praise you for these faithful people who listen with an open heart and mind for your word. I thank you that you have given me this venue and these skills and gifts in order that I might serve you. I pray that although this vessel is weak and often mistakes are made and misstatements are made, that uh, you will, by the power of your Holy Spirit, instill in them only those values which are from your heart and mind to their hearts and minds. This is our prayer, so that you will be glorified, and so we will be changed by your sanctifying grace. Amen. Now, let's take a quick look at our scriptures that we read. Now, you get those scripture assignments in the description for the podcast, and I list those for you so that you might cut them and paste them into your a Bible reading app, or perhaps just look them up on your uh, in your Bible. And uh, I'm wondering, as you read Judges, for example, if you notice that there's this pattern of unfaithfulness that occurs in the relationship between God and God's people. Um, there is a, uh, a 
constant sort of repentance and deep commitment to God and a deep dependence upon God that gradually fades away. And a few generations later, people don't remember why they needed God so much. They become more confident that all the good that has occurred up to this point was their own doing. And so they forget that God was the source of all the good. And then they begin to not only forget God, but even to choose other gods and to turn against God in a way that is highly offensive to God. And for their sake, God acts. For their sake, God says, I can only take so much of this. And then I begin to fear that perhaps you guys are going to go down a path you'll never be able to return from. It's important that when we think of God's wrath that we don't think of it as God being like us in that God seeks revenge or that God uh, is, uh, is somehow you know, looking for retribution. The truth is, is that God punishes sin in order to correct it, in order to move it in the right direction, to take us away from the behaviors that will ultimately take us to a place we can't return from and to steer us back toward God. And so punishment is one of the ways that God does that. And so even in the punishment, there's a kind of grace. Um, because, you know, let's face it, the people that we know, the kind of relationships that we've been a part of, always include those people that say, well, the heck with you. You know, you don't want this? I don't care what happens to you. God never stops caring about what happens to us. And even if punishment is the only way to steer us back to God, God does so. And because punishment, for the sake of those who will respond positively to it, must be just, then God will, unfortunately, also execute God's judgment on those who will not repent. And again, this is grace. This is love. Believe it or not, God's judgment and God's execution of God's judgment on those who reject God consistently and who never turn to God uh, is a sign of God's love for those who do, and chiefly for Jesus, who died so that they might be able to come back into a relationship with God. So you see, if God isn't just, then God isn't really acting in love. Or to put it another way, God's justice is an act of love. That is to say that when God gives God's judgment to those who reject God, it is for the sake of those who do not reject God, as much as it is for the hopeful outcome of redirection for those who resist. When you read from Job chapter 42, you saw how after quite a long discourse and quite a deep and rich sort of relationship strengthening conversation with God, Job's fortunes are restored. That the psalmist says in Psalm 136, God's love is steadfast, meaning that it's consistent and strong and and you know there's no suffering that we will encounter that isn't at some way redeemed by God. And if not in this life, then in the next. When we read Isaiah 35, we saw that God did the same thing for the people, that pattern again, where if they repent and they turn back to God, they will 
receive God's blessing once again. Hosea, one of the most bizarre books in the Bible and yet a beautiful story. Because, quite honestly, a sinful body of people who were in a relationship with God starts messing around, you know, starts having relationships with other gods and, uh, and yet still claims to be committed to God. So this story of a whore and a cheating wife and uh, all of that sounds so colorful and difficult to take, but it's God's way of illustrating through Hosea that when you commit yourself to God and then you flirt with and even have a relationship with other gods or other priorities than God, even while you claim to be committed to God, you, you know, what you're doing is no different than the unfaithful husband or wife. Now, that speaks to all of us. That speaks to the regular church attender. That speaks to the one who prays with their family every night over the dinner table. It speaks to us all. In what ways are we having a relationship with God, but treating God as though God is a fool who sits at home while we go out and run around with some other uh, high priority in our lives apart from God. This is why Hosea is this extreme story. It's meant to help us feel that deep, ugly pain when we think about these things. And yet, God never gives up, just as Hosea never gave up on Gomer. Then let's see, you read Luke 15. Jesus reminds us that at all costs, God seeks the lost. There is in this simple story by Jesus an example of something we call prevenient grace. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Paul explains grace in his own experience in the letter to the Ephesians that we read, and uh, or in the Corinthians letter, rather. And in the Ephesians, he talks about how the Christ is the blessing that results in that grace. And, uh, you know, uh, we have justification expressed by Paul in his uh, letter to the Romans in chapter 5. Justifying grace is another form of grace that we give its own sort of distinction. And so there's a lot to say here. This this is going to take some time to cover all this, I'll tell you. And uh, it, I'm looking forward to it with you. And let's, let's dig in to some of these topics in just a second. So what happens when you find in your heart a real sort of committed belief that you are a sinner and that you need to be cleansed of your sin? I, I really wonder sometimes after all these years of ministry how many people can really recognize that in themselves and i i don't want to sound judgmental or anything but seriously when you when you think about your relationship with god you know do you understand that the critical moment in your relationship with god is that moment when you honestly evaluate yourself and realize that without some outside intervention, you have no hope of a right relationship with God. 
And it's only because you recognize in yourself this never-ending capacity for rejecting God. And that's a hard thing, to, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow, and it's a hard thing for me to say, believe me, but it's, it's just that sin doctrine that we talked about last time really hitting home. And the grace doesn't mean that much to you until you understand how impossible it is for you to enter into a relationship with God by any other means. You cannot enter a relationship with God except by God's grace. And what is grace? Well, simply described, it is a free, unmerited gift. You haven't done anything to earn it. It's grace. Uh, I heard it put this way one time years ago. If, if I invited you over to my house for dinner, and you met at me at the door, and I took your coat, and I hung it in the closet or laid it on the bed, and, and then I invited you in, and we had some drinks and some snacks, and then I led you to the table, and I fed you a wonderful meal, and then we brought you dessert and coffee, and we had a wonderful time, and then eventually you... Uh, arose from the table and you thanked us for the meal and you grabbed your coat and before you left you turned around opened your checkbook and you wrote me a check and asked how much you owed for the meal how do you suppose I would feel at that moment I would look to you and I would say you don't owe me anything I gave you this this was a gift this was a way of saying how much I love your company how much a relationship with you means to me. And I threw this feast for you and invited you into my home because I wanted to. And if I had intended to charge you for this, like you'd come to a restaurant or something, it would have been a totally different experience, wouldn't it? And so it seems just as absurd to us who have received God's grace to assume that somehow you can pay God back for the grace or you can earn God's grace through some act uh, or, or, you know, some, something you do to receive it, right? Write God a check for the grace, you know? It's just as absurd to think of that as it is to think that you would go to a dinner party and then write a check to your host for the experience. And so, in this way, we want to think of grace as something that is given freely by God out of God's heart of desire. And therefore, it is not given to us in a means, uh, in any may, with any meaning attached to it that might suggest that God expects something in return. There's the real essence of grace. When you give to an organization, when you give a gift to a loved one, when you do things for other people, in your heart, you know what's motivating you. And you know when you're doing it because you love. And you know when you're doing it simply because it will reward you in some way or it will gain you some sort of benefit. When you think about all the various forms of giving that you do, how many are really genuine imitations of God's grace, and how many are because of ulterior motives? Ouch, that's a tough pill to swallow. But the idea in explaining it to you that way is to help you to understand that this doctrine of grace all hinges on God's 
activity, not ours. This grace begins with God and ends with God, and we receive it without having any particular stake in it other than our eternities are purchased through it, but we don't do it. The act of faith in God's grace is what saves us, ultimately, because if we have no faith in God's grace, then it will not be possible for us to experience God's grace. And so, the one thing that we do, according to Romans 5, in order to really understand and appreciate and experience God's grace is to recognize our sin and then recognize God's grace. That's why I said earlier that sin is one side of the coin and grace is the other. If you don't understand that you're a sinner, then you won't understand how much you need God's grace. But once you get that you're a sinner and you get that God's grace is freely given and all you have to do is put your faith in that grace to just believe that God loves you that much and God has provided for your deliverance from your own sin so that you might be in a relationship with God for all eternity. Once you see that, it makes all the difference. So grace is, in a nutshell, simply that. God's act of unwarranted, unmerited love and mercy for a people that have done nothing to deserve it or earn it, but he can't help but give it because of the great love God feels for us. I often say in our worship services that I would like us all to worship God as people who simply can't help but worship God. What I rarely say is, is that that is a response to a God who can't seem to help loving us. I just don't understand it. But God can't help loving us, so why is it so hard for us to worship in the same spirit? To love and worship God as those who just can't help it is to begin to return to God the same energy and devotion that's the idea. There are different forms of grace, and this is a this is more of a doctrinal theological concept. What I what I mean by that is is that you're going to uh, you're going to have to understand that God didn't subdivide grace into these various categories, and God didn't you know provide in the Bible a, a, a specific set of of uh, you know grace levels. You know like. Uh, like a certification, you know, well, you are now certified in grace level one. Now we're going to go for grace level two and grace level three. This is not what we mean when we talk about different kinds of grace. God's grace is one complete grace. But in order to understand how God's grace works in our lives, theologians and scholars have given us subcategories to in order to, to help us to grasp the understanding grasp and understand in our own hearts the the richness of God's grace and the consistency of God's grace. For example, we hear this term prevenient grace. And uh, Jesus describes it in Luke 15 when he says, you know, if there's one lost sheep, the shepherd will pen up the others and then go and search for the one that's lost, and then rejoice when it's recovered well. And 
Then there's the story that is my personal favorite parable or favorite story from the New Testament, really. It's the story of the prodigal son. This story I could talk about for hours and hours and never grow tired of it. Because this beautiful, beautiful illustration of God's love for us is so real and so vivid in my imagination, and I hope in yours as well. Without retelling the story, let me just say that when, it re- when we talk about prevenient grace, we're talking about this father of the prodigal son who is always ready to receive his son back after his son has betrayed the family and left and squandered the wealth that was given to him. This father is always ready to receive this son who had been dead because of sin and rejection of his dad and his family. And this readiness is one part of God's prevenient grace. Scholars, especially Wesleyan scholars, would say that prevenient grace is more than that, though. They would say that prevenient grace is a sort of pursuing grace. That is to say that not only does God willingly and hopefully wait for us to return and is ready to run to us and embrace us when we do, but that God is creating opportunities for us to to recognize God's activity in our lives, and, and in some way or another, God's Spirit is around us even when we're not looking for God. So even when we're not looking for God, God is looking for us. Um, Prevenient grace is a little bit like that. It means that God's love is so great and God's desire to restore relationships with us and God is so strong that God actually is not only just watching for us and waiting for us, but God is actually pursuing us. And uh, so, you know, I have on many occasions as a pastor had people say to me that they are grieving their lost son or daughter or some dear one to them who is rejecting church and rejecting the faith, and uh, they keep hoping this person will come around and come to faith before it's too late. And there's always that situation where I am invited into the final hours of a person's life, and there's this discussion often in their presence while they appear not to be participating in this conversation. And this discussion will go something like, you know, I don't think he's ever really taken God seriously, and now I'm afraid he's not saved, and I'm afraid he's going to die and go to hell. And and what I always like to say to people in those hours is, you know, he's never, God has never stopped seeking the salvation that God desires for this person, any more than God ever stopped seeking salvation for you. And so the question to ask is, is how have you prayed about this? You know, there's power in our prayers. And, and so, you know, uh, sometimes we pray these very selfish prayers, you know, um, about these people that we wish would come back to church or come back to a relationship with God. But the truth is, is if we would just pray that God's prevenient grace might be so overwhelming that this person can't help but recognize God's intervention in their lives. Um, 
These hurricanes have taught us a lot about how visible God really is. I can't begin to tell you how much noise has been made on social media and in the news and various other forms of media about all the good works that have been done by people to help one another, the, the uh, armada of boats that went into uh, Texas to rescue people and to help them out of their troubles, and uh, all of the uh, heroic and uh, uh, incredible ways that people served each other during these difficult times. And what's interesting is, is that these people behaved the way they do because they come from a culture that is still largely heavily influenced by biblical lifestyle doctrine. You know, I, I don't know exactly how else to say that, but, you know, it doesn't matter whether people believe in the Bible or not, there is still a culture in this country for now that is so heavily affected by the traditions that were built around the Bible. And, you know, I know people would dispute this in certain ways, but think about how other cultures respond to similar situations. When there are great natural disasters in other parts of the world, why is it that there are huge losses of life? Smaller storms than Irma have hit places in foreign lands and left in their wake 20,000 dead and another 20,000 die five years later uh, over the next five years because of disease and famine and all that. And why does that happen there? But for some reason, a storm of the magnitude of Irma hits our country and very few people die and most people are able to restore their lives pretty rapidly. You know, why does that happen here? Well, you can say it's because there's a goodness about the American way and American people, but really it comes from the fact that we have established our culture around beliefs that used to be always readily associated with being Bible-believing people we don't do it anymore. We don't give it the same respect that it once got, but there's still a culture like that here for now. And uh, you can start worrying about our country when that doesn't happen naturally anymore. But for now, recognize that God is at work in people's lives, even by the hands of people who don't necessarily respect God or choose to witness to God's uh, wonders and love. So what I mean by this is simply that we see God's prevenient grace all around us. It comes from the, the remarkable things that God does through people who may or may not accept God's leadership in their lives. But nevertheless, God is at work. And so when we pray for the lost, we got to recognize that God's prevenient grace is at work. And amazing things happen because we pray. And so often these stories of redemption come when someone says, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened. Uh, back to the prodigal son, for example. He squandered his father's wealth. He went and betrayed his father in so many ways. But while he was suffering in a great famine and would have preferred to eat even what the pig slop that, that he was supplying to the pigs he was taking care of, why he he realizes in that moment how generous his father had always been to him. And he returns to his father, willing to simply eat the pig slop in his father's pens. 
And his father runs to him and embraces him and throws a party for him. This is prevenient grace. Then there are the other variations of grace. Um, We take, for example, God's justifying grace. This is still one grace, but we see God's grace in justification, meaning that we have done nothing to justify God's uh, deliverance or God's uh, uh, not guilty verdict. You know, um, justification in Christian terminology is sometimes a little difficult to wrap your mind around, but think of it this way. If you're standing before a judge and you are guilty and the judge is about to sentence you, if the judge could find significant and substantial justification for dismissing your charges and setting you free, then you would have been justified by those substantive means. And so, to put it another way, you stand before the judge knowing that you are guilty, ready to receive the punishment you deserve, and then Jesus comes up to the judge and says, I will take their punishment, please let them go. And the judge reluctantly says, well, if you're willing to take the punishment for them, then I have justification for letting them go. And you are that justification, Jesus. So when we say that God's grace is justifying grace, it means that God provides the justification for dismissing the charges against us. And that's, that's hard to wrap your mind around, but that's what it means when we say justifying grace, that it's a grace that God gives in that God accepts the justification offered by Jesus so that we can be forgiven. And then we have sanctifying grace. We have God's grace that changes us forever and always. This setting apart, sanctification is a word that means set apart. It can also be translated as holiness. Uh, Holiness or sanctification means that we are growing out of our human nature and into our spiritual nature. It means that having been saved by God's grace, justified grace, We are now no longer the old person, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're born again, and our sanctification begins. It is as though we've received a spiritual transfusion. We have had the human spiritual nature drained from us, and we have been filled anew with the sanctifying Holy Spirit nature, the spiritual nature of our being has been transfused. We've literally had the old blood drained and we've been infused with a new blood, the Holy Spirit. Now, that is the beginning of our sanctification. And what it means is that we are now in a grace delivered package that is being remade 
throughout our lives, and we willingly participate in that. We ask God to aid us by the Holy Spirit in this ongoing transformation of our nature. This is what we mean by sanctifying grace. And then God provides, according to John Wesley, this perfecting grace, and it means that God's grace continues right on through to heaven, or to put it in a different way, when we die, whether or not our sanctification is complete, we still get to be finished by God's grace, so that when we come back in the resurrection, we come back as God's restored, sanctified, fully new person. Now, that's pretty powerful. Well, we're nearing the end of our class this week, and we've covered a lot of ground, but what I would like to to, uh, request of you this week is that you consider how God's grace has affected you. In what ways have you experienced God's grace and recognize that this prevenient grace has intervened in so many ways in your life, as though God were saying, I know you're not paying attention, but why do you suppose this good thing just happened to you? I know you don't want me, but why do you suppose you were saved from this difficult situation? This is God's prevenient grace actively pursuing you. Can you recall when this sort of thing happened to you? Have you seen it in those you love, perhaps those for whom you pray? And uh, what is that like? And do you remember the day when you found that you were truly a sinner who was in true need of grace and that there was nothing you could do to earn it? You could only look at God's favor with astonishment and receive it. And then... Is there anything about God's grace that bothers you? Anything about God's grace that you think is perhaps unfair? Maybe you're like the prodigal son's brother who says, Now, wait a minute. I've been faithful. I've been here. I haven't abandoned you. This son of yours has abandoned you, and you throw him the red carpet treatment, and you give him a big party and a new robe, and and I don't understand this. And the father says, You know, everything I have is yours always has been, always will, but this brother of yours was dead, and now he's alive again, and he was lost, and now he is found. And and grace seems to know how to celebrate those kinds of things, but does it bother you like it bothered that, uh, that brother? And How about your sanctification? What's your journey of sanctification look like? Um, The Holy Spirit is the driving force for that, but have you found it easy to ignore the Spirit's leadership in your journey of sanctification? Are you truly trying to willingly participate with the Holy Spirit in becoming all that you were designed to be, all that this infusion of the Holy Spirit was meant to enable? It's a tough one to figure out. 
And so I ask you to heighten your sensitivity to the reality of God's grace. I want you to try to understand this unmerited favor. Look back over your past, especially lately, and see how many ways you can identify God's grace at work in you. Because we are the people of God, the church, the body of Christ, then we accept God's grace with gratitude, and we want to be sources of grace in every way that we can, in the imitation of God's grace and love for us. Let's pray these words from the hymn by Isaac Watts. I was a traitor doomed to fire, bound to sustain eternal pains. Christ flew on wings of strong desire, assumed my guilt and took my chains. Infinite grace, almighty charms, stand in a maze, ye whirling skies. Jesus, the God with naked arms, hangs on the cross of love and dies. Did pity ever stoop so low, dressed in divinity and blood? Was ever rebel courted so, in groans of expiring God, of an expiring God? Wow. Do you see God's love and grace in Jesus on the cross? Well, friends, thanks again for another week of faithful service and your commitment to this learning. I hope that you have been blessed. I look forward to being with you again next week in our virtual classroom. We will talk next week about salvation. God so loved the world. What is the doctrine of salvation? Exactly how does God's grace actually result in a salvation that matters, that changes our eternal outcomes. You'll get the scripture lessons to study in the description below this podcast, and I encourage you to look those up this week and study them and be prepared to let them inform your discussion next week and your thought as we come together for next week's Knowing God with Heart and Mind. Please remember that Knowing God with Heart and Mind is a ministry that comes from yours truly, Pastor Dan, and therefore, by extension, from the church to whom I am appointed the privilege of being the pastor, Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I am happy to be their pastor and delighted to serve them, and in this way, to serve you, even if you are far away and aren't part of the church at Shiloh. What's really amazing about this ministry is that it has the capacity to reach and enhance those spiritual lives that are in fellowship with me throughout the week in the church, but it also reaches people who are far distant from us. Either way, continue your prayers for Shiloh United Methodist Church. And if you are in an area of Jasper, Indiana, and Southwest Indiana, I hope that you will consider joining us in worship at Shiloh on Sundays and throughout the week in our various activities. There's something goes on there every day. And uh, if you're not in this area, then please find a place to be a part of. Find a church or church organization to join with. 
please, please, please don't go this Christian journey as some kind of lone wolf. We need to be with each other, just as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are together. For now, I ask your uh, continued prayers for me, and I ask God's blessing upon you. Go in peace now to love and serve the Lord.